At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Com podcast, Brightfest preview series 2018. My name's Stuart Wright, and we're talking away further instructions. I've got screenwriter Gavin Williams. Hello. Hello, Stuart. And producer Jack Talon. Hello, Jack. Hello. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you on the the internet superhighway. I should add, we're not in the room <laughs> together, so let's not pretend that we are. Um, in fact, we're at, geographically speaking, I'm, I'm in London, so where, where are you based, Jack? Uh, well, uh, I am, I'll tell you where I am right now, is I am sat uh, at the studio where we shot Await Further Instructions three years ago. Wowza, so where's that? that what's the studio? Uh, that is, uh, well, uh, it's actually been renamed uh, Goldfinch Studios, and it's in uh, East Yorkshire. They sponsored a party at Berlin Alley. Uh, they did. For, was it for Screen, was it? Was it a Screen party up in Soho House in Berlin? Very possibly. Yes, I remember that, yeah. Um, and Gavin, are you in Newcastle? I am indeed. I am in my flat. I am looking out of the city. I'm on the eighth floor, so I've got a fabulous view. Uh, there's a rainbow just appeared, so uh, a nice bit of scenic audio for you there. Indeed. Hope springs eternal. Um, Absolutely. So, Jack, I believe in, in the in the in the drawing of straws. You've been given the responsibility of giving us a quick synopsis as to what Await Further Instruction is all about. Uh, I believe I have. Yeah. Um, so, Await Further Instructions is the story of a dysfunctional family. Um, it's a family that wake up on Christmas morning to discover that they've been sealed inside their house by a mysterious black substance. Uh, and they turn on the TV and they find a single line of text on TV which says stay indoors and await further instructions. Uh, so this leads to feverish debate about what might have led to their predicament. Um, has nuclear war finally broken out? Has there been some kind of localized terrorist incident? Mm. Um, the father of the family who's uh, kind of a slightly unhinged patriarch, 
declares, well, if we don't have our normal Christmas dinner, then the terrorists have already won, um, assuming that it's a terrorist attack. Uh, his son, Nick, who's been away from the family for some time, and uh, Nick's partner, Angie, who is British Asian, uh, are slightly more uh, willing to question what they're being told by this, these lines of text that are appearing on their TV. Um, but uh, so it becomes very much um, a question of how much we believe uh, what we see in the media. Um, and uh, obviously we take this to extremes. It is, of course, a sci-fi horror film. Mm. Now, uh, for, for regular listeners, they, they may remember that I interviewed uh, Gavin a couple of years ago about the script for Late for the Instructions. Um, mm. So before we get into more details about, about what's been going on and the uh, recent world premiere, um, I, I've been asking everybody that's, that's, that's got films going to Frightfest to think back to their youth, or think back to last, last week, if it was indeed that, that recent, uh, to a first or an early fond memory of consuming horror that put you on the path to be putting a putting a film that's now be so putting together a film that's that's now at Frightfest. Who, who wants to start with it? I guess uh, it's your turn, Gavin. Okay, doc. I don't mind. Uh, so uh, I think. Well, the weird thing is, it's sort of uh, a kids' program that isn't really horror, but uh, I guess some people will be able to kind of sort of empathise with this. Uh, and it's kind of watching Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. And I kind of watched it sort of in. Um, Kind of 70s and 80s when it was during the Tom Baker era when it was at its most kind of sort of gothic and horrific. Um, and I was very, very young when I started watching it. Um, uh, and I think kind of there's lots of particular memories. They, they went through a phase of doing kind of, sort of versions of kind of classic horrors. There's one particular called The Seed to Doom, which is basically kind of, sort of alien, um, kind of set in uh, uh, and kind of mixed with the things. It's sort of set in a, in a, in a polar, um, uh, at least starts on in a kind of, sort of polar outpost. And they find these sort of strange kind of, sort of eggs, which then sort of erupt and start kind of taking people over. Um but I think the thing about about kind of Doctor Who, the thing that sort of stayed with me and sort of shaped um, uh, kind of my imagination, is not exactly the monsters. I was kind of scared of some of the monsters, but what would happen with terrifying regularity is that someone would get infected and start changing. And in those days, they kind of went for sort of five, six episodes. So in the first episode, a minor character they met, the doctor and the assistant met, would get infected by something and very slowly over the kind of progress of, the, of that particular story, they would change. And you'd often have people with kind of sort of half monster faces and kind of sort of half human faces. And it was this sort of sense of kind of someone being kind of sort of not wholly one thing, but but something else. They're being taken over. And that was really unsettling to me, this notion that there was something horrific that was inexorably taking over your body, infecting you and changing you from your kind of sort of normal human state. So it was that sense of not being one thing or the other, being changed or infected and being kind of sort of this hybrid or mutant state. And that just terrified me. And, and I was was kind of very young. I was three or four at the time. Um, and those sort of ideas have sort of stayed with me and kind of laid roots in my imagination. And I kind of think it's the core of quite a lot of what I find unsettling and what then goes into the work. Did, did, you, did you happen to be able to sort of either sneak in or shoehorn in any, any Doctor Who influences into Awake Growth Instructions? 
Uh, not, not consciously. I think you could probably say that uh, <laughs> ev- everything I've done in some way probably goes back to that. But I don't think we should look too deeply because then it all seemed like it's very much kind of so wrote and I've ripped off <laughs> of people who are writing kind of Doctor Who in the 70s, 80s. So let's just move on quickly. Well, take, there, there are definitely a couple of Easter eggs in there for the keen eyes and ears, I would say, Gavin, but I'll say, I'll say no more. Okay. Yeah, no, that is true. Yeah, definitely. So, so, Jack, what's your story? Uh, yeah, so um, I taped uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters off of Late Night Channel 4 when I was about 15 and uh, watched it a few days later uh, during the day when my family was out. Um, but it was daylight and I wasn't like, I wasn't that young. Um, and um, I got, I don't know, maybe like an hour in and it was uh, a really <laughs> intense experience. And um after about an hour, I just couldn't hack it anymore. I was uh, really too terrified um, and tense. Uh, so I switched it off, um, but I was still quite freaked out. So I called one of my mates and asked if I could maybe go round. Um, so, so and, and I did. So um, I think for me, um, and this is something I quite often <laughs> refer to when I talk about why I became a filmmaker, um, a film managed to make me not only switch it off, but get up and leave my house. So I thought, well, uh, maybe that's something I would like to be involved in if you can create that level of emotional reaction in people by simply telling a story. So, uh, so out of interest, how long was it be- between 15-year-old you seeing an hour of it and getting to see what happened to the end? Oh, I think I, um, I mean, I was absolutely loving the film and I think I watched the rest of it, um, you know, within the next day or two, but just when there was maybe other people at home downstairs and just, it was just something about that intensity of being um, in the house on my own and it had built up to a level of intensity where I couldn't take it anymore. But having then switched it off and, uh, yeah, I think it was that build up that was the issue, but I was very, very keen to watch the last 20 minutes or so, and I'm, I'm sure it did um, very soon afterwards, and it's uh, still a film that I absolutely love. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, now as you're the producer, that gives, us, that gives us a chance to sort of talk about what happened after, briefly talk about what happened after, uh, after Gavin had finished the script, which obviously we covered in the... Uh, in the last podcast so just we won't go into miles and miles of detail but just just to give people an insight into into how how a film is produced and obviously you made it i guess it was all made at the studio there's no there's no shots that were on location or anything is that right uh there are a few little uh bits um it's not uh entirely contained but uh predominantly it is um, so I was, just so, thinking yeah. with that, I was just thinking with that contained experience as well as the contained film. What, from a producer's point of view, what what was what was the challenge for you taking those words on the page to make it produce it to be ready for screen? That sort of, um, I guess, kept you awake at night in the uh, in the run, <laughs> in the run or two. What well, were the I main mean, challenges? I think I mean, I mean I think initially you know there there was a development process of several years, which is you know. Mm. Fairly normal, so I mean, um, and but alongside the development, you are also uh, trying to finance the film, and um, I guess the stronger the film uh, or the screenplay became, uh, the more readily we were able to finance it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So um, we had actually come quite close to financing it on at least a couple of occasions previously. Over the course of probably about five or so years, um, I've been working with Gavin and, and latterly Johnny Kaborkian, of course, the okay. director. Um, but um, yeah, so ultimately uh, we did finance it uh, with our partners at Goldfinch Studios um, and several others. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess this had started life as something that Gavin and I had thought, you know, we're at that point, you know, we were first time filmmakers. Uh, how can we do something that's uh, quite simple and contained? Um, so uh, the premise of the film being a family of uh, seven characters uh, sealed within their house by this mysterious substance seemed to fit the bill. Um, having, you know, then worked on a lot of films during that five or so years um and having uh you know and eventually as as d-day looms and you've kind of really broken down and analyzed the script and all of its requirements um i think we both came to realize that you know actually this was far from a, a simple film um and uh there are really extensive effects within it mm. um which were things that hadn't really been done that much before, some of the techniques, the, there are things in it that people won't have seen before, I think. Um, and uh, and also, you know, we wanted to give it the time to breathe. You know, we wanted time for performance uh, and we wanted time to get those effects right. And, you know, the characters are nuanced and do have arcs um, and um, are complex people. So uh, it wasn't going to be a hatchet job of a shoot. So, mm. um, yeah, so essentially we had to raise uh, quite a bit more money than, well, a lot more than we'd initially thought. Um, and, you know, it, and it was a very complicated shoot to pull off. And there's a lot of uh, both physical and then visual effects required to make it work. Um, so I guess that was our challenge. So so based on that then, so is, is the is the... From the moment when I, from the time I spoke to Gavin originally to when we are now sort of having just come off the back of its world premiere, was was a lot of the time spent working on the stuff that happens after you've shot and think in terms of those. Special- right. Okay. Yeah. So um, from the time we shot, it has taken a while to complete the film. Um, that is partly because yes, there were very extensive visual effects requirements, um, and also because. Uh, probably slightly quicker to shoot a film than it is to post a film. Um, and our partners at Goldfinch um, are in the fortunate position of uh, being able to uh, make quite a lot of films a year. So um, they were shooting things a little bit quicker than they could post them. Um, and their post facility was part of uh, the financing, which made it possible for us to do everything that we need to do on the film. So, um, Partly it was uh, about taking the time and giving the attention to detail uh, that has delivered the results that um, that people are uh, about to see at Frightfest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and partly it was that we did have a hiatus um, whilst we waited for a couple of other extremely VFX heavy films uh, that were just sort of ahead of us in the queue um, to be completed before our work could be undertaken. Sounds reasonable yeah. enough. 
I was just going to say there is, there is, I think, not to kind of go too much further back in the process, but obviously, since, you know, you and I talked, Stuart, um, uh, we never got to talk particularly about kind of, sort of the development process that myself and Jack and, uh, and Johnny went through. And, and something that Jack mentioned was about kind of how we wanted, how it was crucial for the, the, the kind of uh, the effect of the film is you kind of build up these characters. They've got kind of, sort of complex interactions. It is, as Jack said, this dysfunctional family. Uh, and part of our kind of journey because it's taken so long to get it to the screen there was um uh, a kind of sort of this iterative process of kind of going through making those characters kind of work and kind of breaking them down i think when i kind of first wrote the script they were kind of more caricatures that they were, they were kind of broader so part of the journey has been to kind of make them live a bit more and kind of give them kind of sort of everyone has their own story everyone has their own kind of there's no villains or kind of, sort of heroes in the film it's everybody kind of just trying to deal with this situation um, and for instance, there was in an early draft, we kind of removed quite a large, there was one character called Uncle Happy who used to be an early draft who's kind of was excised completely because you kind of realise as you kind of go through that process that there just isn't the space for that many characters. And you start thinking, well, actually, it was a suggestion from Jack. We just sort of cut out Uncle Happy, which I think kind of hurt him quite a lot because Uncle Happy was his favourite character in the uh, original version. But um, you need want to kind of sort of keep refining and keep bringing down something until it's kind of sort of, it's sort of purer form um, and one of the things about the film is, it, is it's got this kind of, sort of slow build is that we kind of, sort of we, we kind of learn to kind of understand the family and their, and their relationships in the first 20 minutes or so um, so that when the kind of the, the shields come down when they're trapped in there you know how they bounce off each other really can explode and, and really kind of, kind of connect to an audience because we know exactly who they are and you know why they don't like each other and what's the problems inherent in their family dynamic. I think. I mean, it's uh, the the you used the term slow build a couple of times there. It's a to me, it's a welcome trend. I'm seeing I'm seeing it more and more with uh, with genre where where the development of a film has actually been to develop a film, not just make a horror film. Which I know, I know that that might sound like a contradiction in terms, but the, there was been, there's been a, there's been a period of time where the race to make everything horror on the screen has meant that the film is devoid of anything worth being interested in. Whereas obviously. If you if you develop a story right, then everything good and bad that happens is something that I feel as an audience, you know, thinking back to Jack's experience watching um, Zombie Flesh Eaters, is that if you can get that emotionally involved in something, then uh, then it's all the more worthwhile than just simply, oh, that was a cool kill. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and certainly for us, the kind of the, the, the heart of the film are these characters. Now, you won't like all of them, but you'll understand where they're coming from. You'll be kind of still swept up in their journey. Um, I'm, I'm kind of we'll get onto one of the fun things um, about kind of, sort of uh, seeing the film with an audience in, in in the states in Chicago at Cinepocalypse uh, Film Festival is how American audiences just absolutely kind of get into the uh, uh, the kind of flow of the film. I saw people ahead of me kind of slapping their kind of, sort of uh, their hands on the foreheads when dumb people. And you were people making bad decisions on screen uh, and kind of calling out the screen, you know, saying these things, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And it was it was really gratifying that sort of having taken that extra time to build these people up uh, and then set them off, bouncing off each other, that it kind of really played for an audience, which was was very gratifying. So, well, well uh, you've given me a segue there, Gavin. So thank you. Um, so congratulations then for uh, sort of I guess I'm a few weeks late, but for. Uh, for your world premiere you had in Chicago at Cinepocalypse. Thank um, you. Thanks. Obviously, it's been given given what you've what you've already said about your personal journey developing it, and then the 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 uh, getting it ready, and then 
trying and failing, trying and getting the finance raised and stuff. It's been obviously a very, a very personal as well as, uh, as well as anything else sort of journey. So to get there and be watching the film, it's um, what what was what what was this what was the emotions for you when you when you get to Chicago and you see a packed house and your film's about to start. Uh, well, it's both slightly nerve-wracking, uh, but also, you know, incredibly satisfying because, um, yeah, I think at that point I'm probably like nine or so years into the project and Gavin obviously is a little longer than that even. So, um, yeah, it was great. And I think as Gavin says, um, what was really good was just seeing how things landed. Um, you know, there were so many uh, moments that um, we kind of love and cherish, but, you know, you kind of think, yeah, but that's pretty subtle and we know all this backstory, you know, will it necessarily land with everybody else that's coming to it afresh? And actually, there were like things landing that we really never expected. I mean, there is humour in the characters, um, particularly in the first half of the film. And, you know, that went down really, really well. I mean, there were laughs that we hadn't really expected to get, although there were moments that we found humorous. Um, but, uh, that went down really well. Um, and then I think it, you know, um, evolves very successfully from that into, uh, something where people are really very surprised at the territory in which we take them to. And it's a film where you kind of, um, go up a notch and feel like that's okay. That must be the end. And it's not. Um, and there are many, many ways in which we take this uh, as far as we felt we possibly could. Mm. Um, and it was really exciting to go on that journey with people. Um, and it became a real talking point uh, of Cinepocalypse. Uh, and uh, I'm pleased to say we, we won the audience award there. So uh, I think that hopefully speaks for itself. I was going to say, for the, for, the, for the person who's listening, who's sort of looking at what they're going to decide to watch... At, uh, at Fright Fest this year, the idea that at its world premiere, Await Further Instructions, has already won an audience award at a big genre festival, must 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 build the intrigue. Gavin, was 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 it was it was it obvious to you with with the way the audience reacted that you felt like this is going down well? I mean, was you able to go and see other films and and sort of measure what what what, what impact you had as much as you could? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly I wouldn't be uh, kind of sort of gauche enough to sort of compare how one audience reflected at their film onto ours. That wouldn't be right at all. But certainly kind of in the room. Uh, yeah, no, people kind of really responded to it incredibly well. And that it's just it is after sort of that that long length of time. And I, you know, I first had the idea, you know, literally 10 years ago, coming home from a, a New Year's Eve party. So you're going into it with all that kind of, sort of time behind you. And then it's taken this time since we filmed it to actually finally get it to the screen. There's this sense of anticipation. There's this nervousness about kind of is it going to play with an audience? And as Jack said, I mean, it's um, it, it's it's an it's an interesting, unusual movie because it's got these satirical elements. It's got you know, it's got laughs in it. So you think, well, is that going to land? Are people going to sort of go with it? And the, and the audience absolutely did. And, and I think that that award sort of speaks to it. Um, but I think again, as Jack was saying, what we're really proud about is that it, it is this journey. It's a film that kind of has it takes its time.
time to kind of build up the characters and build up those relationships. But when those blinders come down, when they're locked in the house, it just kind of sort of goes hell for leather uh, and it keeps on escalating. And there's this kind of principle in screenwriting that you should always be escalating. Um, you should be kind of moving forward. You shouldn't be showing an audience something they've seen before. And that's absolutely the case with um, Await Further Instructions. Um, and I think kind of one thing which we were very happy about um, that uh, in the kind of write up of the film in the sort of apocalypse um, uh, brochure and publicity uh, they described wait for the instructions as um, uh, black mirror meets the thing uh, and you know, <laughs> we, couldn't get, we, we couldn't get we couldn't get a better review than that so no, i think we were very all. pleased with that uh, I, I, but also it's kind of sort of the way it gets from those two poles is i think unexpected and uh, I, I, I believe we surprised the an apocalypse audience uh, something rotten so so that was really enjoyable and just to sit in an audience and go have that sense of excitement thinking oh well you know they like that bit but then there's this bit coming up and then this bit coming up and that was ex- that was really incredible how, out of interest sort of, gavin how how long into the film did you begin to relax or did you not relax at all uh, watching it with I an audience I think I started about quite early just because, as Jack said, we were getting kind of ripples of laughter and kind of these responses. Uh, and American audiences are great because they just they go with it. And, uh, and I'm, sh- I'm sure kind of the Fright Fest audience will be the same is that they kind of, sort of go with the films on its own on its own terms. And they're kind of they're really kind of, sort of enjoying it. And you can feel them kind of, sort of take it in. And I, I actually kind of was sitting behind a trio of guys, big, big American uh, lads who were just kind of, as I say, really going with it, slapping their foreheads, laughing and talking, uh, you know, every now and again the screen and just it was it was it was a great feeling after all this long journey that people mm. really were going for it and I, I think it is a real crowd, crowd pleaser it takes people on a journey which is which is exciting as well well look congratulations on on making it to that world premiere and congratulations on now what is going to be your european premiere at fright fest and it just gives me to say thank you very much gavin and jack for coming on the Britfix podcast thank you very much Stuart. thanks Stuart. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.